Your patient is in pain. You've run out of ideas and are ready to tell the patient to live with it. My son was in just this situation and his doctor referred him for medical acupuncture with a miraculous result. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Schulman. Dr. Schulman is a clinical assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at the Weill Medical College, Cornell University Medical Center in the Big Apple, New York City. He is a member of the board of directors of the American Academy of Medical Acupuncture. Today we are discussing the treatment of back pain, acupuncture versus traditional therapy. Hi, Bob. Thanks for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks for asking me, Bill. In Monday's Archives of Internal Medicine, an article was published reporting on the results of the German acupuncture trials for chronic low back pain. The study included 1,162 patients aged 18 to 86 years of age with a mean age of 50 and a history of chronic back pain for a mean of eight years. Improvement lasted six months at least in the treatment group. The conclusion was low back pain improved after acupuncture treatments and the effectiveness of acupuncture, either real or sham, was almost twice that of conventional therapy. You're a PM&R specialist, board certified in medical acupuncture, PM&R, and pain medicine. Do these results surprise you? Not really. That's pretty much the type of result we see in clinical practice. In the 10 or 11 years I've been using acupuncture in my practice, and particularly in the treatment of back pain and neck pain, I would say that's consistent with what I've seen in my office. What is nice is that the Germans have done a really great job in making the study statistically sound so that it became an impressive study for the public at large and the medical community at large. About what percent of patients with chronic back pain are treated with acupuncture at Cornell University Medical Center? Well, we don't really have any facility in the hospital itself. My faculty appointment, I'm a voluntary faculty, so I get referrals when people call up the hospital referral line and they refer them out to me and I see them in my private office. Then what percentage, say, in your office would you be using acupuncture for? I know you're an acupuncturist, but you also have specialty in herbal medicine. Sure. I would say probably uh, 75%, 80% of my day is spent using acupuncture with my patients. Not all of the patients would be appropriate for herbal therapy in the same way that not all of them would be appropriate for, for given medication. or. So or you use therapy. traditional modalities in your practice as well as a PM&R specialist? As far as traditional modalities, if you're referring to things like hot packs, ultrasound, and electric stimulation, I really don't use them because I haven't really found them to be very effective. How about physiotherapy, exercise, which are things that were used in the conventional study? We don't really use conventional physical therapy either, again, because in my experience, it's really not all that effective for these chronic problems. The type of physical therapy we do use in the office are things like yoga-based therapy and Feldenkrais and Traeger, which are other methods of using movement and exercise to enhance human performance. And in my office, all of those are done by physical therapists, so it's rightly and legitimately called physical therapy, but the physical therapists don't use the traditional modalities and therapeutic routines. So, for example... We have many patients with low back pain who have very strong abdominal muscles, and the traditional way of treating someone with low back pain would be to strengthen their abdominal muscles, but that's not necessarily the problem. Uh, We use acupuncture to help them relax and and loosen up the muscles and diminish pain, and then the physical therapy modalities to help them understand, help them relearn how to use their bodies correctly. I'd like to focus a little bit more back on the study as published. In this era of evidence-based medicine, the sham result 
was as good as the real acupuncture. What well, does it, it say wasn't to really you? as good as the real acupuncture. If you look closely at their data, the, the real results were substantially better than the sham acupuncture. But what's curious is that both the sham acupuncture and the real acupuncture were markedly better than conventional treatment. So when you really look at the data, the, the data showed that real acupuncture was superior to sham acupuncture. The other thing, of course, that all of us are quite vocal about is that the sham acupuncture really wasn't sham. The needles were inserted, even though they made an effort to use non-acupuncture points. But it's clear from most of our experience that, for example, there are many Japanese methods of acupuncture where the needles are inserted very, very superficially, and that can have a profound effect. That was one of my questions, because there clearly was a difference between the depth of the needle insertion in the, quote, real treatment group and the sham group. What is that effect, and do you really have to be as deep or as shallow as they said? Do you have to contact the nerve directly? No, it's not really necessarily contacting a nerve per se, although that can happen. I don't think anyone really has the answer as to how deeply the needles have to be inserted and how long they have to be left in for and whether or not they require electrical stimulation. And the nice thing is that there have been many studies published in the scientific literature that are beginning to answer those questions, but we really don't have a definitive answer to those questions. It just tells us that the body is so complex that there are many ways that this can be effective, and there probably isn't one right way to practice acupuncture. Two things I was going to ask about. One is in this study, the patients in this group received two treatments per week, 30 minutes each for a total of 10 treatments. How do you feel that compares in your experience with an adequate treatment? For many people, that's adequate. For some people, you wouldn't even need that many treatments, and for other people, you would need more. I've had a few people recently in my practice with, with chronic back pain, either radiating or non-radiating pain, and after as few as five or six treatments, I was able to help them become pain-free. And then in other cases, after two dozen treatments, I haven't had a significant effect. So every case is really quite variable. But I would say on average... Oh, 10 to 15 treatments would be about right. If you're just joining us, I'd like to welcome you to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Schulman, and we are discussing the treatment of chronic back pain. You felt that the number of treatments was adequate. When do you know it's just not going to work? What's your endpoint? Oh, I think after a dozen treatments, if you really, after six treatments, you should really see some small improvement. And after a dozen treatments, you should see some sort of substantial improvement. And by some small improvement, I mean that, that even if the patient leaves the office and feels 50% better for the remainder of the day, but the pain comes back the next day, that's a significant improvement, particularly if they're able to reduce their medication intake at the same time. But it's always hard to say whether that improvement will be, whether the practitioner will be able to create that improvement so that it does last longer. But the duration of the improvement and the use of medication, the frequency of, of taking the medication or the, the dosage is oftentimes a useful indicator of how well things are going. And I think that was really impressive because in this study, both the treatment and the sham acupuncture groups use significantly less medicine than the conventional treatment group. Absolutely. It was really impressive. And as a pain specialist, I can tell you the majority of the medications we have in the treatment of pain really are not adequate. Uh, non steroidal anti-inflammatories, as we're all aware, cause substantial bleeding complications and increase blood pressure and decrease blood flow to the kidneys. The opiates, while they're useful at diminishing pain, have their associated side effects. So finding a, a non-pharmacological way to treat back pain is really a very important issue. 
The other thing you mentioned was electrical stimulation. Many in our audience are unfamiliar with acupuncture treatment procedures. In this study, only body needle acupuncture was done without any electrical stimulation and without any heating of the needles, also called moxibustion. Would you explain something about the different techniques of acupuncture, and was it significant that they only did body acupuncture without stimulation of the needles? Sure. Well, let's see if I can answer your question sequentially. The acupuncture can be anything as simple as as really quite literally scratching the skin with the needle to inserting the needle deeply all the way down to the level of the bone. So, for example, in the buttocks, we might insert a needle all the way down to the pelvic bone or the iliac region. Many studies have begun to indicate that when electricity is applied to the needle, the brain actually sees the acupuncture input in a wider region in the brain. This has been shown by functional MRI, correct? Functional MRI, yeah. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that translates into an improved clinical outcome has not yet been demonstrated. But these uh, functional MRI studies are beginning to show that, that electrical stimulation seems to create a stronger effect in the brain itself. For some people, electrical stimulation certainly seems to create a more effective treatment. However, there are, in my experience, there's a subset of people that can't tolerate the electricity or don't necessarily need it. So it's nice to have a variety of techniques. The use of moxibustion consists of heating the needles or the surrounding region with an herb called mugwort or Artemisia vulgaris, and it's actually a weed that grows typically on the edge of a field. It's actually quite difficult to eradicate once you have it growing in your yard or garden. It's made into a sort of punk or a powder and then applied either in the, in the form of a cone or used as a cigar and held above the region to heat the needles. Historically, it's been taught that the smoke itself has medicinal properties, although no one's really ever studied that uh, at present, and it's unclear whether it's the heat itself and the mugwort serves as a vehicle or there's, a, there's something medicinal about the smoke entering into the bloodstream. The authors in the article state, and I quote, the unexpected finding of similar effectiveness of sham and verum, and that was a new word to me, acupuncture, forces us to question the underlying mechanism of acupuncture and to ask whether the emphasis placed on learning the traditional Chinese acupuncture points may be superfluous, unquote. First, let me ask you how medical acupuncture differs from traditional Chinese acupuncture. Medical acupuncture is, of course, acupuncture that's performed by a medical doctor, a DO or an MD, or perhaps a dentist. The main difference is going to be that the physician understands clinically the wider scope of the patient's problems. So, for example, is the back or neck pain an underlying serious condition such as an infection or cancer or fracture? Additionally, the physician is able to perhaps better understand the importance of the other illnesses that the patient presents with. So if they have osteoporosis or if they have heart disease, all of those things play a role in the treatment of the condition. Now, what about neuroanatomic approaches versus the traditional Chinese approach? Exactly. So a medical doctor who might be trained in in the so-called neuroanatomic approach would be using the needles as a vehicle for stimulating various nerves, muscles, tendons, and ligaments in the body, the insertion sites might correspond to the sites of traditional acupuncture points, but they might not. And so it gives one a greater leeway and perhaps greater courage in the insertion of the needles. 
it also provides an additional framework for understanding how the treatment might work. So, for example, in the treatment of back pain, we might position the needle specifically to target the facet joint or to target the exiting nerve root that we know is affected on the MRI scan. And oftentimes in my practice, when I have used the MRI scan data in that way, I have a better result. So I might still use the traditional points on the legs and so forth, but I also might go very specifically where the known physical problem is in the back region. As we're coming to the end of our time, if our listeners have questions for you or wish to contact the American Academy of Medical Acupuncture, how would they go about doing that? Well, they can go on the website, which is, I believe, medicalacupuncture.org. And could people contact you if they wish? Sure. They could contact me in my office. The phone number is 212-983-1166, or they can go to my website and some of the questions will be answered, which is www.shulmanmd.com. Well, I'd like to thank Dr. Bob Shulman, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing acupuncture and the treatment of chronic back pain. This is Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.